Welcome to The Perspectivalist. Our agenda is to offer a perspective of the world that allows it to think more clearly as a Christian. We want the normativity of scriptures to be the starting point of everything we do. Thanks for joining the conversation. This is Season 3, Episode 6. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. Thanks to the recent uh, subscribers to The Perspectivalist podcast and Substack, especially for the kind comments on my Lenten devotionals published every day at 5.30 a.m. Central Time. I want to jump straight into our discussion, continuing what began in our last episode when we discussed the controversy surrounding Gary DeMar, and that is DeMar, capital D-E, capital M-A-R, and what I consider to be some of the fundamental errors in how he is treating the subject as if it were just another Luther's table talk. Now, of course, if Gary were a new believer, I would gladly have these conversations, but as a teacher for many decades, whose responsibility is indeed the preservation of truth and orthodoxy, he has a greater responsibility. One of the things I noted in the last episode was that there are severe repercussions that a denial of the second coming would have on the church as an institution and as an organism. That is, the church as a structured body and the church as an expression of God's praxeology here. Everything is impacted, life and soul. The question that Gary asks in his first podcast assumes a standard way of approaching the question of what does the Bible say? And I want to touch on a basic epistemic question here in this episode, and then I want to move in future episodes into some textual concerns that will focus on the biblical, redemptive, theological approach that Gary DeMar is taking and how I think it is flawed when considering the subject of second coming. And the reason I touched on the gravity of Gary's trajectory and how his theological dispositions and project destroy the very nature of the church is because... We do not approach the topic of the Bible or its interpretation as a tabula rasa, as a blank slate. Fundamentally, what Gary is assuming is a particular interpretation of what it means to be the priesthood of all believers. And we have, even in our day, wonderful resources on this from James B. Jordan, from Jeff Myers, and then older scholars like T.F. Torrens. And even back to Calvin and Luther themselves to help us think about how we answer the question, what does the Bible say? I am arguing that Gary is assuming an interpretive lens that gives him the right to interpret the Bible as he sees fit, but also setting an example, which is the greater danger of my estimation, setting an example for other people to question everything, everything. I have said in the past that the theologians who were most heretical, let's say Arius and Marcion, found refuge in a kind of hyper-individualized lens in reading the scriptures. And that is why the church gathered, both in its 325 and 381, in the Nicene Council and the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Council, to deal with these issues. Because heretics always imply some level of biblical fidelity, but they need to be challenged by the Bible itself, and they need to be challenged by the authority structures that are given and inherent, especially in the fifth commandment principle. And that affects our understanding of the priesthood of all believers. There's a fundamental issue here of how we understand the role of priesthood. And I actually believe that the war of the priesthood is the issue we're facing today. We are creating individualized priests who have no connection to a greater priesthood and therefore they find themselves easily divorced from the community of faith. But that is not how the Reformed tradition in particular finds its roots. And I do use that word tradition purposefully because we do have a a body of fathers to follow. 
We need to ask the question, where does the priesthood of all believers come from? Is this just something that Luther made up? No, Luther was following Old Testament precedent. Yahweh made Israel into a kingdom of priests. In the Old Testament, there was a priesthood of the whole body that came through circumcision. And within that royal priesthood, there was an institutional priesthood. The royal priesthood, that is the church of the Old Testament, was to serve God's purpose to all the nations. They were to embody a life of reality which reflected the God of the Bible, the God of the Torah, to the peoples of the earth. The priesthood of all believers, which began in some ways in the garden, was to continue until, as Paul says in Ephesians, we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The priesthood will only reach that full maturity at the end of history. If there is no second coming, if there is no historical ending, to the earthly priesthood, then the priesthood of all believers in its biblical sense is over. It's not needed. There is no regard for it anymore in redemptive history. There is no more corporate reality. If we have already reached the whole measure of the fullness of Christ in AD 70, then there is no more need for institutional bodies which are guarded by a royal priesthood and an institutional priesthood. And therefore, there is no more need for a corporate priesthood. The Bible can be read however we please. Now, is this how Luther intended? Now, is this what the Reformers intended? Is this how we are to understand the priesthood of all believers? I think not. So before we can even begin with textual issues, there are epistemic issues that need to be addressed. And I think they're being overlooked because we all assume we're on the same page here. The question Gary DeMar raises, what does the Bible say, carries more repercussions than he thinks, which leads me to consider the question of Biblicism. If you've read John Frame, you know that he's often associated with a triperspectival approach that does not interpret the Bible as nuda scriptura, or to use Matheson's language, solo scriptura. Frame approaches the Bible from three perspectives. The normative, which is the text of scriptures. The situational, which is the history and the existential, which encompasses the experiences, the emotions, uh, context and family, etc. So when Gary DeMar quotes chapter 1, section 10 of the Westminster Confession, establishing that the supreme judge of all controversies can be no other than the Holy Spirit speaking in the scriptures, he is assuming a particular version of Biblicism, a version that I do not believe the Westminster divines held to. But the Spirit is the great harmonizer of history. We've learned this from reading James Jordan. The Spirit harmonizes history through the corporate priesthood, not outside of its priesthood. The Bible is not read neutrally. The priesthood of the believers does not mean that we become Pope unto ourselves. Otherwise, the Reformation would have been no different than Rome's hierarchy. But the church is not an extension of our devotional life. The church was very much, because the confession itself says, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation, that is, in reference to the church, the church is the place whereby the interpretive process begins. The slogan, the priesthood of all believers, is going to be misunderstood if it is used outside of a context. So if you have a, a classic phrase from the Reformation, and if it's not dealt with within a, a knowledge and a contextual body that understands that language, it's going to be easily misunderstood. The priesthood of all believers is not an endorsement for hyper-individualism or for hermeneutic that is divorced from the life of the body. Yeah, the reformers were correct in fixing the late medieval ways of doing congregational worship. Yes, the reformers were correct. Every member has equal access into God's throne room on the Lord's day. Every member has sanctuary access. 
And that means that we all help one another in singing, in confessing. We are all priests unto one another, from which the pastor is, let's say, the chief helper. I can approach God in prayer in my car. That's part of the priesthood of the believer. But when we gather in the local church, we are in a royal room with other believers. And that's the root of the priesthood of all believers. We are a priest unto one another. We're not a priest unto ourselves. We don't have the right to reverse biblical, historical, hermeneutical principles to the principles we think are more fitting because of our most recent discoveries. You know, Gary DeMar, not too long ago, in the middle of February, wrote an article on creationism. And he concluded by saying, I suspect that most these young people don't even know there's an alternative eschatological position that teaches that most prophetic texts that have been taught are yet to be fulfilled, were fulfilled in the first century. See, at this point, just a, a couple of weeks ago, Gary still said that most of the prophetic texts that have been taught are yet to be fulfilled, were fulfilled in the first century. But now he's saying that they have all been fulfilled. And at the very least, he is saying that these texts need to be reconsidered, that the creeds need to be reimagined for the sake of harmonization with his particular priestly interpretation. And I think in many ways, what he is doing is falling to a kind of fundamentalist biblicism, the kind of biblicism that looks at a passage like Acts chapter 1 and the ascension of Jesus and fails to see the redemptive narrative there of what Jesus is accomplishing in his ascension glory. Jesus rises into the heavens in bodily form, bearing his scarred hands and side, and he says, I will come back in like manner. Then Gary is doing something that historically has not been done, at least hermeneutically. He is taking that passage in a very individualized fashion, and he's failing to grasp that there is a redemptive narrative that Jesus has been building here. He builds it in his resurrection narrative, and he builds it now in his ascension narrative here. Jesus is going to come back bodily at the end of history. That cannot be spiritualized because it is part of a fleshly corpus that goes all the way back to his fleshly incarnation when Jesus dressed himself in human flesh. There's a great danger here that the kind of priestly endeavor that Gary DeMar is embracing is a kind of hyper-individualized priesthood that does not see the role of the Old Testament priesthood bearing on our priesthood under Jesus Christ. In fact, our responsibility is even greater because the church of Jesus Christ shall never suffer a permanent attack from the devil. The church will triumph over the devil's ways. But that vindication demands that we see the scriptures in a redemptive narrative that allows the work of Jesus to function within and through the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And I think the danger here is that Gary DeMar is embracing a kind of hyper-individualistic priesthood that fails to grasp the necessity of attaching himself to a broader priesthood. The danger is not that he's interpreting the Bible, the danger is that he's interpreting the Bible alone, without the guidance of what the church has said on fundamental issues. And at this point, Gary has become a pope unto himself. Thanks for listening. 
I'm your host, Yuri Brito. We'll see you next time.